Our first scripture reading this morning comes from Genesis chapter 25, verses 19 to 34. Let us listen now for God's word to us. These are the descendants of Abraham. I'm sorry, Isaac, Abraham's son. Combine the two there. These are the descendants of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean of Padan Aram, sister of Laban, the Aramean. Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord granted his prayer, and his wife Rebekah conceived. The children struggled together within her, and she said, If it is to be this way, why do I live? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples born of you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The elder shall serve the younger. When her time to give birth was at hand, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy mantle, so they named him Esau. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand gripping Esau's heel, so he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man living in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he was fond of gain, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once, when Jacob was cooking a stew, Esau came in from the field, and he was famished. Esau said to Jacob, Let me eat some of that red stuff, for I am famished. Therefore he was called Edom. Jacob said, First, sell me your birthright. Esau said, I am about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? Jacob said, Swear to me first. So he swore it and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. This is the word of the Lord. Our second scripture this morning comes from Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 through 9. Let us listen again for God's word to us. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. Such great crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat there, while the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, Listen, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, Some seeds fell on the path, and the birds came and ate them up. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil. They sprang up quickly, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and brought forth grain some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. Let anyone with ears listen. This is the word of the Lord. So a couple of weeks ago, we read the story of Abraham's near sacrifice of his his beloved son, Isaac. Now, 
Isaac is all grown up, and he's starting a family of his own, continuing the family line that was promised to his father when God made the covenant with him. But, like his mother and father before him, the path he must follow is anything but straight and narrow. And like her mother-in-law, Sarah, Rebekah, who is Isaac's wife, is also barren. So Isaac prays to the Lord, and the Lord answers. Only the answer they receive isn't quite what they were expecting. Not only did they discover that she was carrying two children, it also turned out to be a rather difficult pregnancy, to the point she is in so much pain that she wonders why she even continues to live. But then God tells her, There are two nations in your womb, and two peoples shall be born of you, divided. The one shall be stronger than the other, and the elder shall serve the younger. This is a really fascinating piece of foreshadowing, because immediately we, the reader, we know, we're, we're in on the secret, that the twin who was born second will be served by the firstborn. That that the secondborn, the second uh, child, will be the greater one. He will have more power, though he clearly won't be as strong physically, as we'll soon see. Now, the irony, of course, is that in this ancient culture, it was the firstborn who would have been expected to be the more dominant one. He would re receive the lion's share of the inheritance, and he would be the, the direct successor of the father as the family patriarch. The younger brother was usually left to uh, depend mostly on the mercy of his older brother, or to try to make his own way in the world. And I think we can see that Jacob's choice here is pretty clear. He's not going to depend on Esau for anything. So as the children are born, it's as if Jacob is already aware of the stakes of being born second. He's holding on to Esau's heel. We get this image of the two of them wrestling inside the womb, both kind of fighting to try to be the firstborn. And since Esau is physically superior, he wins the fight. But Jacob proves to be a very feisty competitor who will not be easily brushed aside. And so this, this sibling rivalry that they have continues throughout their life. Their birth sets the stage not only for their relationship, but especially for Jacob's role and his, his kind of lot in life. He's the consummate little brother, constantly jockeying for position over his older brother, trying to get what he thinks he deserves. But Jacob doesn't know what we know. Jacob doesn't know that God had already decided that he would be served by his older brother. That God had already decided that Jacob, not Esau, would be the one through whom the covenant would continue, the covenant would live. But Jacob, without knowing that God's blessing is already upon him, is constantly scheming a way to get it, sometimes even with the help of his own mother, as in the better-known text about uh, Jacob and Esau, where Jacob tricks his father into giving him the blessing that was meant for Esau. So Jacob becomes known as a bit of a trickster, a bit devious and even somewhat deceitful, one who will willingly deceive even his own family to get what he wants. And this is the guy that God chooses to give the name Israel. This is the one who would be the father of 12 sons who would become the 12 tribes of Israel. 
This is the one through whom the covenant that was promised to Abraham would continue. Jacob's path was a bit unorthodox, to say the least. You would, you would think that being chosen as one of the ancient patriarchs would make life a little bit easier for you, but not Jacob. His path is fraught with twists and turns and all sorts of rocky terrain. Jacob will not stand back and, and just let his brother bask in his blessing as the firstborn. He has to go get it for himself, even if it means being a little deceitful. Now, as I read the parable of the sower next to Jacob, the Jacob and Esau narrative, I realize that from an outsider's perspective, Jacob looks a heck of a lot more like that rocky soil that Jesus described than the good soil that produces 30, 60, and 100 fold. With all of Jacob's deception and trickery, or as Lee Corso would say, trickeration, Jacob sounds like the definition of someone who lacks depth of soil. Nothing about him or his life says, you know, this, this guy looks like good, fertile soil. He's devious, he's deceitful, constantly crafting a way to get what he wants, even at the expense of his own brother and father. But this is the one who God chose. God's wagon has already been hitched to this horse, and there's no going back. Perhaps that's one of the problems with the way we often read this parable, is our tendency to, to want to decide who is the good soil and, and who is, who is that, that rocky soil, and we are entreating each other to you know, be that good soil that, that allows for the seeds of the kingdom of God to, to take root within you. Be the fertile ground on which those seeds might flourish and grow. But according to this parable, the way Jesus tells it, it doesn't sound like we have a whole lot of choice in the matter. How can rocky ground make itself into fertile soil? Or, or if birds come and snatch away the seeds, how can we get them back? So perhaps the point, or one of the points of the parable then, is not, is not for us to decide what it means to be good soil or bad soil, but to not concern ourselves with that question at all. When the sower goes out to sow, he has no regard whatsoever for what kind of soil might receive his seeds. He just broadcasts them everywhere. And some places it takes root and it flourishes. And some it does not. But he doesn't come back later to that rocky ground and chastise it for being rocky. He doesn't give it tips for becoming more fertile. He just continues to sow, trusting that life will spring forth from wherever it springs forth. There's also no one following behind the sower, telling him where to to sow and where not to sow. You know, I, I wouldn't toss any seed over there. But, you know, see those thorns? That's that's not going to be good for those for those seeds. It's not a good spot at all. So there's good some good soil over there. Maybe toss a few extra over there. Stay away from that rocky ground. You, you don't want to touch that. But we often feel like we can dictate where the seeds are sown or how they are sown, as if we have any business telling the sower how to sow. Now, if we had our way, we'd tell God not to sow among folks like Jacob. From all external appearances, Jacob is at best halfway decent soil that's been infested with thorns. This is not the type of person fit for God's promise. This guy is nothing but a waste of seed. Toss it elsewhere. Save it for the good soil. Yet even though Jacob took a much different 
a much rockier path, we know that God was with him nonetheless. That God was with him even when he took advantage of his brother during a moment of weakness. God was with him even when he knowingly deceived his blind and aged father. And God continued to be with him when he was on the run, fearing for his life, afraid of his brother, whose birthright and blessing he he had stolen. If I were the sower, I might think twice about broadcasting my, my seeds among this guy. I might assume that this was a waste of perfectly good seed on what is clearly rocky ground. But thankfully, God works a little bit differently than I do. So while we are not the sower, we are called to be sowers of God's kingdom, planting seeds of grace and mercy and justice and compassion wherever we go. There are many places we'd rather not toss those seeds. Many people we think God could never work through. But thankfully, God has a bigger and a better vision than we do. As sowers of God's kingdom, it is not our job to decide where the fertile ground is or not. It's not up to us to declare some worthy and others not, some soil good and others rocky. Because as we see with Jacob, those who look to us to be the rockiest of grounds are often often the ones that God deems to be the most fertile places of incubation for the seeds of the kingdom. And indeed, many of of us know this from experience. What, What did we ever do to deserve to be considered good soil? Are we so righteous that any of us earned this designation? Of course not. If we have experienced the growth of the seeds of God's kingdom within ourselves, it's not because we made ourselves into good soil or did something to deserve the seeds of the sower, but only because of the grace of our loving creator, redeemer, and sustainer. Jesus begins and ends his parable with the command to listen. But the listening he commands is not a one-time event. It's an ongoing commitment to listen to how God is moving, how God is moving in us, among us, through us, and like Jacob, sometimes even in spite of us. So may we also be willing to listen to the voice of the sower who calls us out from this place to follow in his footsteps and sow the seeds of the kingdom wherever we go. And let's plan to be surprised when God chooses people like Jacob People we thought were nothing but rocky, thorn-infested ground. Because as it turns out, the ground we tend to think is the least fit is where the kingdom of God takes the deepest root and flourishes beyond what we could have ever imagined. And thanks be to God. Amen.